Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain. And together we're Pete and Gary's Military History. Podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome to the podcast. I'm Gary Bain, and once more joined by Peter Hart. Good morning, Peter. You seem below par today, Gary. Have you had some sort of personal tragedy or got up the wrong side of bed? You're my personal tragedy. <laughs> I suppose you might say that. Right. What are we doing today, Pete? Well, we're doing uh, another in our uh, popular series, Laugh or Cry. And this one's called Out of the Line. We've done an Out of the Line. But hard at work. Ah, I see. <laughs> right, OK. Now, these are, are uh, being broadcast in support of our new book, which is called, imaginatively, Laugh or Cry, British Soldier on the Western Front. 1914 to 1918. And that's available in, well, it's available everywhere. So just get it bought, all of you. If you want to support the podcast, what better way of supporting the co- the podcast is to Gary? Should they buy us a coffee? No. no. Should they, well, if that stupid system that they brought in to patronise us. <laughs> <laughs> Should they do that, Gary? Yes, we need patronising. Yeah. <laughs> no, Gary. <laughs> what they should, they should buy the book. They should. It is a good way of supporting us and uh, it was a lot of hard work, frankly. Bit of a laugh, I thought. Oh, right. <laughs> now. You doing the crying, I'll do the laughing. Moving on swiftly. Oh, yeah, <clears throat> uh, this is the second of two about yeah. uh, being out of the line. Well, last week we did uh, la- out of the line recreations. <laughs> Yeah, and this is the non-recreational version. Now, out of the line may have seemed like heaven on earth when soldiers were in the line, but they soon found that normal military duties and discipline continued. Any fantasies of a veritable paradise were swiftly disabused by the army. They disabused your idea of paradise, didn't they? They just disabused me. And uh, this is what Captain John Milne of the 1st Force Leicester, uh, Leicestershire Regiment started, you mean to go on, <laughs> has to say. Ah, the phrase six days rest was really a snare and a delusion. In the imagination, we'll look forward to sleep unlimited, parcels from home galore, letters from at least half a dozen armfuls of delicious womanhood, alluding affectionately to the joys of past and future leaves. <laughs> what had visions of binges in bail, razzles in Renning Health, and perchance 
passion in poppering. I see what he's doing. He's got alliteration mad here, hasn't he? <laughs> but in reality, six days rest was an entirely different affair. Certainly it began with parcels and sleep, followed by baths and clean clothes. But after that, it was sadly tarnished by a commanding officer will inspect. The battalion will parade. Or a working party will be furnished. Which meant that companies had to pull themselves together and remember that they were soldiers once more and not semi-troglodytes living in trenches and dugouts. I see why you didn't read this one. <laughs> and that as soldiers, they had to stand smartly to attention, to fix bayonets, to keep the thumb in line with seams of the trousers and the feet at an angle of 45 degrees. And after the morning had been energetically spent in drill and bayonet fighting, they would be gratified to hear that there'd be a route march in afternoon. I just could point out he was a captain. Yeah. Yeah. He was a working class and captain. And he was from Leicestershire. Leicestershire, that's generic Midlands. Hmm. Now, guard duties had to be done around the billets, stores and headquarters, which gave rise to this splendid story, which illustrates the cheery nature of the Australian soldier. You love this and you, you pick loads by this bloke. <laughs> I remember you saying, oh, I've got this great item. This is Lieutenant Walter Belford of the 11th Australian Battalion. Unfortunately, one of the boys detailed for guard was about the most casual soldier in the whole Australian army, and his presence in the guard worried Fergie so much that he took him aside and gave him a lot of private instructions as to what he should do if he saw the commanding officer or a field officer approaching. The digger promised to do his best. When his turn came for sentry go, it seemed as if the fates had heard Sergeant Ferguson's prayer, for hardly a leaf stirred in the village. But Jock's coaching was not to be wasted. For Major Boyd Ahrens, who was then temporarily in command of the 11th Battalion, appeared at a considerable distance away. The sentry immediately came to the slope and then gave the Major a smart present arms. There was no response, as the Major had not noticed him. But the casual one was not to be balked in this manner. He lowered his rifle, put his fingers in his mouth and emitted a piercing whistle. The CO stopped dead in his tracks and gazed in the direction of the sound. The sentry waved his hand, pointed to himself and then, in his best style, presented arms. The Major, who was always a real sport, appreciated the situation and returned the salute. How would that go in the British Army, do you think? <laughs> oh dear. Now, t t t let's have a bit of balance in this. Let's have a story about insouciant. <laughs> British guards and a, a surprisingly tolerant commanding officer. Uh, and uh, this is what? Second Lieutenant Reginald Russell of the 11th Queen's Own Royal West Kent Regiment. Now, Lewisham Battalion. We've uh, had a few from the Lewisham Battalion. Well, it's a very funny book. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, it's not funny is the wrong word, but it's got lots of humour in the <laughs> it's a battalion very funny history. Book. Some of the signals were at one period detailed as part of the coal dump guard. After lights out one night, the regimental sergeant major, always a favourite, <laughs> happened to be walking along the road when he saw two forms with sacks on their backs making their way towards the camp. Hey, you fellas, what you got here? It's all right, sir. It's only two signalers going back to the hut with blankets and kit after being relieved from guard. All right, carry on, but don't mention I saw you coming from the cold dump. <laughs> Even the colonel, 
was human enough to shut one eye to the efforts of his men to keep out the wet and cold of that wretched winter. Entry number 15 platoon's hut, he noticed how cosy the atmosphere seemed and remarked, uh, you all seem nice and comfortable here. Then his eye caught sight of the cause of the homely warmth, a huge coke fire in a bucket. <laughs> he asked where the coke came from, when up spoke one stout soul. From the dump across the road, sir. <laughs> but there's a sentry there, isn't there? What is the use of a sentry if you go and steal coke like this? Hold the bag up, sir. <laughs> the colonel went out laughing. Again, I'm not sure most colonels in the British Army would respond in that way. Well, from your massive experience of appearing in front of colonels, do you think they'd respond like that? Absolutely, but I'm more intrigued as to a sergeant major who seems to be a pirate from Penzance and two signalers who appear to have uh, gone to Eton, judged by, <laughs> their, uh, by their accents. I just get confused. <laughs> now, a sad story was told by Robert Graves of uh, two soldiers, Private Richard Morgan and Lance Corporal William Price, who ran into serious disciplinary trouble from which there was uh, no way out. Uh, now, this is uh, Second Lieutenant Robert Graves, who was at the time Second Welsh Regiment, and this is what he says. Two young miners in another company disliked their sergeant, who had a down on them and gave them all the most dirty and dangerous jobs. When they were in billets, he crimed them for things they hadn't done. So they decided to kill him. Later, they reported at Battalion Audley Room and asked to see the adjutant. This was irregular because a private is forbidden to address an officer without an NCO of his own company acting as go-between. The adjutant happened to see them and asked, Well, what is it you want? Smartly slapping the small of the butt of their slope rifles, they said, We've come to report, sir, that we're very sorry, but we shot our company sergeant major. The adjutant said, Good heavens, how did that happen? It was an accident, sir. What do you mean, you damn fools? Did you mistake him for a spy? No, sir. We mistook him for our platoon sergeant. So they were both court-martialed and shot by a firing squad of their own company against the wall of a convent in Bethune. Now, that is said, and I'm, I'm, as you know, I, I, I have scepticism about a lot of grave stories, so I looked it up. And it's true, it's true, on the 20th of January 1915, Morgan and Price had indeed shot Company Sergeant Major Hugh Hayes. And whoever they meant to shoot, Gary, whoever they, you know, the, the sentence was death. And the, the pair of them were executed by firing squad at Batoon on the 15th of February 1915. Pretty quick, just a month later. Well, of course it was quick, yeah. It's a war, isn't it? Now, training was a priority that could uh, rarely be evaded. The men had to maintain their basic fitness and there were new skills to learn, new weapons to master and new tactics to practice. Now, after the first day or two, rest periods seemed to involve very little rest. And this is Lieutenant John Hills of the 5th Leicestershire Regiment. Now, you remember the accent for Leicestershire, don't you, Pete? Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Right. <laughs> the weather was not very good, but we managed to do many hours' work. The usual physical training, bayonet fighting, steady drill and extended order work, night compass work and lectures. The most exciting event was 
one of the night trainings when Colonel Jones combined cross-country running with keeping direction in dark. The running was very successful, but the runners failed to keep direction and ran for many miles, getting in many cases completely lost far into the night. The plaintive notes of the recall bugle could be heard in the various villages of the neighbourhood. And, you know, when we put that in the book, I barely sniggered, but that seems hilarious now. I'm just imagining... <laughs> Route marches were considered essential to revive the fitness of men who'd been trapped in static warfare. Yeah, now, you can see that point, though, can't you, Gary? I mean, you're not exactly doing a lot of exercise in the trenches. No, no. And this is Major Claude Weston of the 2nd Wellington Battalion. Now, do you remember the trouble I had to find anything humorous by New Zealand? <laughs> I apologise uh, unreservedly to any New Zealanders listening to the What are you going to say to the Australians, though? Because they, they hate New Zealanders. Oh, <laughs> And this is uh, Major Claude Weston. This platoon had a sergeant who set an excellent pace and possessed only one man who could not keep step. There are always one or two men in a platoon who, unfortunately, have no sense of time or some other kindred mental defect and who find it an impossibility to follow the regular pace of their fellows. The result is a conscious or unconscious irritation to all but the offender, as regularity would seem to be essential to our brains. To anyone riding behind the platoon, the head and shoulders of the one out of time with the rest were most apparent. Now, I have to say, that wasn't exactly rib-tickly, but that was one of the fun... However, it reminds me, when I was in basic training, we used to have uh, uh, a chap who we called Elvis because he looked like Elvis Costello. And uh, at the time, it was the SLR. And when he carried his rifle, it used to make him lean to the right. So when you watched the marching, you could always see him leaning out of, of the ranks because of the weight of the rifle. Absolutely true. Now, as usual... The men in turn seized on any opportunity to laugh at their officers. Oh, I don't think that's true. And this is um, Private Harry Stinton of the 1st 7th London Regiment. How come you get all the London Regiment? And I can't do a Cockney accent either. The whole brigade was training like us. One regiment had a very small man as an officer leading, and some of the men were amused by this. He must have been something like 5'10", 5'11". Jokes were made at the officer's expense who knew well what was going on, but took very little notice until the joke went too far. Some of the men got up a song that ended with the words, And a little child shall lead you. A day came when the officer led the man on an extra long march, and they came back feeling tired and footsore. They had tea and were surprised at an order to fall in for another march. When they formed up, the little officer said to them, Men, we're going on another route march, and a little child shall lead you. On horseback. The men came back exhausted, and there were no more jokes about the officer being small after that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gary, I'll pass it over to you. Would they have carried on joking sotto voce, do you think? Oh, no, but quietly. <laughs> Route marching was hard work and triggered a considerable amount of comment, and it wasn't all positive. And this is Lieutenant Carol Whiteside. Carol? Of the 7th Border Regiment, Border. Mm. 
One heartily and forcibly agrees with one of our most apt Tommies, who remarked apropos of this continued route marching, it's not the fucking marching I object to, it's the fucking about. It was from London, was it? It was from London, yeah. <laughs> now, they practice their rifle shooting. Of course they would. Um, and we've dealt with that in past podcasts. But Norman Edwards, who's quite a well-known veteran, he was one of the last... Uh, he was chosen to be part of a Vickers machine gun team. Uh, that means a lot more training, doesn't it, Gary? And a considerable amount of what else? Extra weight. Yeah, to carry into battle. Because although you break it down, the stand and the bits, but the ammunition belts, there's a lot of weight. Yeah, but like soldiers then and ever since, they appreciated the sheer excitement of the increased firepower as compared to the humble Lee Enfield. At least most of them did. Now, you've got a special part in this because you know the tune, whereas uh, I failed lamentably. I don't Um, think no is the right word. (laughs) But Anyway, this is uh, Norman Edwards, who was in the first six Gloucestershire Regiment. (laughs) No, he was quite posture as Norman Edwards. It was a rather heavy weapon, water-cooled barrel, and there was a separate tripod. Number one did the actual firing. Number two carried a tripod. Each section was four or five men. They had to carry the belts of 250 rounds. We inherited this song from the regular army. Gary? You can talk about your rifle, you can talk until you stifle, but it's only just a trifle to the gun that we have now. The maxim, of course, is the pride of all the forces. So just unhitch the horses and let the bugger go. That was brilliant, Gary. Now, you caught hold, this is uh, Norman Edwards continues, you caught hold of the two handles and your thumb pressed the lever and the thing went, no, 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 no. I thought it went bang, 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 but whatever. He's the veteran, not me. About as fast as that. You gradually traverse the thing on your on your th- target. You should knock it. Um, one inch tap, uh, they used to call that. Sorry, that's me saying that. Uh, I'll get back to Norman Edwards. Uh, you gradually, uh, right, yeah. We had a lecture by an experienced regular machine gun officer. He told us all about the elevations, how you turn the wheel to elevate it. For each degree of elevation, the bullet would go so many feet further on and so on and so forth. When he'd finished, he said, Now, carry on with the training, Corporal. And the Corporal said, I'm sorry, sir. I don't think I'd better take that on. I'm a greengrocer in private life. <laughs> I like the words <laughs> private life. <laughs> Ah, and now we'll take a short break. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now, bayonet fighting was regarded as an important component of trench warfare, uh, of trench warfare. Uh, the atavistic terror of 18 inches of cold steel was not to be underestimated. The men were taught to bellow out loud in the most intimidating fashion as they charged home. And it would be the same when you did well, that. Well, we saw, we saw it with uh, TAF uh, when we recreated the uh, trench bombing in Gallipoli. Yes, I remember your and he, he, he did his He did, uh, he was terrifying, face. yeah. And his, and his roar. scream, yeah. Now, this is Captain John Milner, the first fourth Leicestershire. You're doing a lot of Leicestershire today. <laughs> Aye. Dummies made of sacks full of straw were made to look like Germans and savagely bayoneted and concussed with butt of the rifle. Special attention was drawn to the most vital parts of the body and the rider was added there. Four inches of bayonet would do the trick. Stranger oaths than have ever entered the fertile brain of Willie Shakespeare were heard on assault course. Now, specialist trainers, specialist bayonet trainers, they ram the point home. This is uh, literally, Gary, and figuratively. And this is uh, what Lieutenant John Hill said. Yeah, the great... Notice, Gary, how the two Leicestershire officers have the same accent. The great exponent of the art of bayonet fighting was Major Campbell. Uh, of the army gymnastic staff, <coughs> whose lectures were already well known at the army schools and who was now sent round country to talk to all battalions. It devised an entirely new scheme of bayonet instruction on very simple yet practical lines, doing away with many of the old drill book points and parries. That, that's what they called bayonet fencing, Gary. Uh, you might have even done some of that. And training arm and rifle to act with the eye, not on a word of command. His powers as a lecturer were as great as his keenness for subject. And for two hours, two hours, <laughs> he held the attention of a hall full of all ranks, speaking so vividly that not one of us came, came away feeling that we were good enough to fight six Bosch, given the bayonet, <laughs> or a machine, oh no, sorry. <laughs> he was particularly insistent on not driving the bayonet home too far, and we shall always remember his saying, throat, Two inches is enough. Kidneys, only four inches, just in and out. Which is, then you think about, you know, what it means. What it means, absolutely. Because it's a terrible, terrible business. And I think people were terrified of bayonet fighting. And and I think I can see why. Going hand in hand with bayonet fighting in clearing a trench of Germans was also the use of the hand grenade. Men were taught to throw them with an overarm cricket bowling action. But accidents were frequent. Now, I just want to say that uh, I see why you've picked to do this one. And I see exactly why you've chosen this quote. And I now remember that you insisted it went into the book because you said it was sort of like a dream come true. Although I then would point out that it's absolute tragedy and shouldn't be laughed at. And this is Lieutenant Lionel Sotheby of the Second Black Watch. Aye. But it's not funny, is it? Lance Sergeant Hart of A Company took Who? a bomb. Hart uh, of A Company took a bomb bit the fuse and was waiting the usual five seconds before throwing it 
when suddenly the fuse being defective burnt up quickly and the bomb exploded, blew one arm off and most of the stomach, head and face. He was practically killed but was supported by the sides of the trench. The explosion of the bomb set fire to his pouches and all his ammunition. About 150 rounds blew off almost simultaneously. He received practically all these in him. Many bullets flew through him and threw pieces of him yards away. He was quite dead now. Now, I think that's absolutely terrible. But the fact he's got the same name as me, he might even, I suppose, have been a relative. And it just brings it over. It's, it's just, horrific, It Pete. is just horrific. I think when we Paul calls a book Laugh or Cry, that's not laughing. That is just... That's definitely in the cry side. I just find that amazing. I wonder if he was a relative. I mean, But there are a lot of hearts. It's not as common as Bane, obviously, but it, there are a lot of us about. Now, anyway... Overall, training was vitally important, but the troops were not enthusiastic about it. Many would have preferred to rest, and one young officer was darkly mordant on their prospects. And this is 2nd Lieutenant Eric Marchant of the 1st Essex Regiment. We are continuing our usual training, but have now got on to attack formations and tactics again, so there is certain to be some entertainment in the near future. I feel certain that the war will be over by about July 1925. Optimistic. <laughs> yes. Uh, they did have to train. I, I, I want to make it quite clear. We are not criticising the army for keeping the men fit, for uh, guarding vital installations, for um, for, tr for learning new weapons. We're not, are we? That, that. No, and they, they, the men moaned, and largely they got the balance about right. There was rest, there was recuperation, and and not every army did the rotation system. You know, some stayed in the front lines. But they have new weapons, especially the British Army. Of course, that's the whole thing. Moving to the all arms, but they've got new weapons, they've got new tactics, and you can't just magic knowledge. You have to learn it, don't you? But you, you know, let's face it, they couldn't be expected to enjoy it. Could they be inspected to enjoy working parties, Gary? Well, you could say that was worse than the training. The troops hated them. Officers, NCOs and men were united in detesting the imposition of huge amounts of backbreaking and, worst of all, lethally dangerous tasks at a time when they're supposed to be out of the line. Yeah, they may have been uh, dog-weary uh, um they may have been traumatised by all that they'd experienced in the line, but working parties, fatigue duties, seemed to dog them like some bloody avenging angel. There seemed to be nothing, nothing but beasts of burden. Doing what? What? Well, they've got to take up water, food. He that's heavy, that's heavy. Ammunition. Heavy. Barbed wire. Pointy. Te telephone cables. Heavy and, point and difficult. Duckboards. Heavy. And uh, the veritable forests of wood and chicken wire required for uh, revetting. Sides of the trenches, yeah. Uh, and that, that's, that, is that it then? That's it, is uh, it? Well, no, let's think about it. There's always plenty of digging to do. They've got to build roads, improve the trenches, dredging drains, laying pipes and burying signal wire. In fact, doing anything that anybody could think of. Uh, and uh, what did the army call that? Rest. <laughs> There was minimal honour and very little credit for those carrying out these mundane tasks, as one cynical officer mused. <laughs> and this is one of your favourites. This is Lieutenant Norman Down of the 4th Gordon Highlanders. He's just great. 
The man who is going to win the war war is poor old Lance Corporal of the unpaid variety. Uh, They're poor, yeah. Uh, General A wants something doing. He acquaints Colonel B B of his wishes. Colonel B notifies Captain C, who in turn passes on the good news to Second Lieutenant D, who skillfully shifts the burden to Sergeant E. Sergeant E, intent on obtaining a disproportionately large issue of rum for his platoon and himself... Details Lance Corporal, unpaid, F. Lance Corporal F takes six men, three shovels and a tin of chloride of lime and the job gets done. Then he returns and reports the completion of the job to Sergeant E. Sergeant E steps up to Second Lieutenant D, salutes and reports, I've done that job, sir. I'm argued, no mention of Lance Corporal F. (laughs) <laughs> Lieutenant D wires to Captain C have done job Captain C sends a message by orderly to the effect that he he Gary mark you has completed the allotted task Colonel B writes I beg to report that this work has been brought to a satisfactory conclusion by me General A replete with a good dinner receives the message good fellow that Colonel B he murmurs hmm well, there's a lot of truth in that in the other. That, in a way, that is just how it is, isn't it? And that's very much as I remember talking to one of your underlings at TFL. Yeah, he said that Gary takes all the credit. He says he saved us eight billion trillion pounds, but it was me that did the work. I remember them all saying that to me. And all unpaid. <laughs> they were very well paid, compared to me. <laughs> now, carrying parties were very much detested. <laughs> the quantities of material required in the front line were such that the garrisoning battalions could not carry everything they would or might need during their tour of duty. Yeah, that, that's, if you think about it, as they move into the line, they can't carry all this stuff, can they? So this is what Lieutenant Dennis Barnett, the 2nd Prince of Wales, Leinster Regiment. It's a very difficult journey from here to where we are digging, and the uh, sailing directions are like this. Across field to haystack. About a half left to dead pig. Cross stream 25 yards below dead horse. Up hedge to shell hole. And then follow the smell of three dead cows across a field, and you'll arrive at exactly the right place. The best of these landmarks is that you can use them on the darkest night. I brought my lads back on a shortcut I devised for myself, including a couple of dead dogs and a certain amount of one German. It is a much better way, and I got the bearing so well that I walked right into the last cow without even smelling her. So strong was the wind blowing the other way. I want you to notice a certain amount of one German. Hmm. Now, the loads had to be carried were, were often heavy. And what well, it's it's the thing, sometimes we always say, it's not the weight of a load, is it? What, what is no, it? No, it was also the uh, the shape. Sometimes that rendered carrying them through a communication trench an almost impossible task. Arthur Beatty revels in his adventures with a 12-foot-long plank. And you're going to tell us what Private Arthur Beatty of the 15th London Regiment, that's the Civil Service Rifles, Arshburgers. says. To the end... And what, do, do you remember the film The The Plank with Eric Sykes? Yeah, yeah, vaguely. And, I'm and a bit young. Ronnie Barker. I'm a bit 60s. young. It was a sort of silent film in the 60s. I'm a bit young. No, you're not, Gary. You've seen it hundreds of times. Anyway, this, if, if those of you who have seen The Plank will we'll recognise this. Right, here we go. To the initiated. Uninitiated. Uninitiated. Did I say? I meant to say uninitiated. 
It's a difficult word, that. Who have only witnessed the carrying of a plank along the King's Highway, plank carrying may appear, at first sight, a very humdrum occupation. But when two men endeavour to negotiate the twists and turns of a tortuous trench bearing in their sh on their shoulders a 12-foot plank, the possibilities are endless. The diabolical malice of things inanimate is well known. The propensity for bread and butter to fall face downwards on the best carpet and the elusive gambles of the wily collar stud are everyday occurrences. That's interesting because one of those is still common and the other one isn't. Anyway, he goes on. But for absolutely fiendish cunning, commend me to a 12-foot plank. Flut, flut. <clears throat> we had not gone more than a 100 yards along the trench before my rifle got between my legs and caught in my putty. I, naturally enough, I can see where you get wrong, naturally enough lent the plank on the parapet and bent down to unfasten my leg. This was the opportunity for which the plank, having lulled us into a false sense of security by its apparent docility, was waiting. With diabolical malice, it leapt from the parapet and smote me on the back of the head. As there were no stretcher-bearers in the neighbourhood, I quickly recovered, and we proceeded on our pilgrimage. Ere long, we arrived at an exceedingly sharp turn, the projecting piece being made of sandbags. We were just thinking of sitting down to discuss the matter when one of the men in the traverse came to our aid. Poor lad, he didn't know that plank. We'll shove it over the top! Seizing one end, he leapt lightly to the top of the pile of sandbags ere we could warn him. His retribution was quick. The pile of sandbags collapsed. Our good Samaritan was hurled through the air. The plank swung round and hit him on the head while the avalanche of sandbags buried Ebo Smith. That's his name. I dug Ebo out. We thanked our friend, hoped we hadn't upset him and left him seated and thinking deeply amidst the debris of, of his ruined traverse. Whether the plank had satiated its lust for blood or whether it was again a trace of the triumph of mind over matter, I know not, but it gave us no more trouble. And I do love the idea of this evil plank. <laughs> General working parties were sent forward. I was going to say something about you being an evil plank, but I've decided not to. But now I've done it. Now, general working parties were sent forward to attend to a variety of tasks. Francis Buckley was amused by some helpful signs they encountered. And this is Second Lieutenant Francis Buckley of the 7th Northumberland Fusiliers. It's very posh. Here on the second day, I took a small party of men as a working party to the shelters at the sunken road, rather nearer the line. I think we were engaged in clearing the road of mud and generally cleaning up. On the way there, I saw some rather humorous notices stuck up at various points. This is a dangerous spot. It was kindly meant, no doubt, but on the whole, no part of the salient afforded much of a rest cure, and it was practically all under direct observation of the enemy. We existed simply through his forbearance. The implication being everywhere's a dangerous spot. Of course. Now, of course, some uh, soldiers were uh, malingerous. <gasps> 
<laughs> Sorry, Gary, but they were. And this is, they'd do anything to avoid working pies. And this is a fantastic story told by Sergeant Joe Fitzpatrick of the 2nd 6th Manchester Regiment. And he told this to me. I remember interviewing him. Funnily enough, I had concussion when I did this. I'd just fallen off my bike, smashed my head into the side of the road. And when I got there... Oh, I thought you were carrying a plank. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. And uh, so I was slightly concussed when he told me this. He said, anyway, this is what Fitz Joe Fitzpatrick said. Aye, I used to take my platoon up to the line to do a lot of repair work. It was a bright morning and we left the men in road and were marching up this blank road to go further up towards the salient. The sun was shining right in your face and all of a sudden one of the chaps fell. I went to him and had a good look at him and when he came round I said, Are you all right? He said, No, I'm not all right. I said, You can find your own way back, can't you? Yes, yes. Right, I'll get back. I thought that was funny. I said, I think this fellow's swinging it. Next morning, we got away again, and I was walking just behind him. He didn't know I was just behind him. He had his eyes on the sun, staring at the sun, till it sent him dizzy. When he'd been staring a good minute or so, I gave him such a push in back. He turned round as if to say, what's that for? I said, keep your eyes on the bloody floor. Don't keep looking at that fellow up there, he means the sun. He didn't do it again. You see, what they do, they think of all sorts of little things. It just depends on the individual. Now, were you that kind of soldier or were you the Joe Fitzpatrick kind? I was the Joe Fitzpatrick. I always looked down. I was, I was looking at my feet most of the time. To avoid falling over. Now, most of them kept their sense of humour to see them through, even when they were assigned to the most disgusting tasks. And this is Lance Corporal William Andrews of the First Fourth Black Watch. Scottish, and he was Scottish. Aye. A dead horse lay in the orchard, and I had to take charge of its burial. We had our unspeakable fill of burying our dead, using blankets to collect the pieces of some poor fellows. But the burial of that stinking old horse stands out in my memory as one of the most dreadful jobs we ever had to do. Nick, gentle, fastidious Nick, was one of the burial party, and when it was over, he sat and wrote a mock heroic poem beginning, Here lies a one-time faithful Gigi, for a shell came and knocked him squeegee. Thank God we could still laugh at our trials. And that, that, that's it, isn't it, Gary? That's the theme of our book. And even that quote, as you were reading in that facetious accent, I noticed that people... No, it's would... Scottish. Yeah. I don't know where facetious <laughs> is. I noticed that there's a reference to people being blown to pieces. And that, but, but the soldiers at the time, how did they get through it, Gary? Well, we've mentioned this. That right at the start of the book, we tried to make it clear. Sometimes the humour is dark, uh, but it's how they dealt with it. It's how they got through the day. Because actually, how else would you? Yeah, I don't think we could. And uh, but, but we've had different upbringing. It's not that the modern generation's useless. It's just that in our particular case, we've been brought. Well, I wouldn't up call you modern. No. Oh, would you call me useless? Often. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. Cheers, Pete. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks for listening to the show. Blah, blah, blah. If you'd like to support blah, us, blah, you can now buy us a coffee. Blah, blah, Visit www.buymeacoffee.com backslash PGMH. Or visit www.blahblahblahblahblah. And we'd be jolly grateful. Cheers. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee forward slash PGMH or consider subscribing to the podcast for only £2 per month and get ad-free listening and bonus content. You can find links for both on our Facebook and Twitter accounts. Sounds great, doesn't it?